0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Deceived and deceiver culprits in this whole line of stuff. Because what happens then is, we begin to have these visions of grandeur, such as, if I can borrow from another movie, if they build it, if we build it, they will come. You remember that? If we build it, they will come. So in our mind, we then create this vision. I have to question, where did that vision come from? Probably not God and for sure, why did it come from you? What part of you did it come from? And so we have this vision, but now this vision, we try to say it's for the glory of God. So we kind of justify this vision. Then we throw it out to the people and we try to get them to fund that. In order to do that, now we're on this slippery slope because we too are desiring more. And as we do that, our theology then begins to be compromised and basically thrown out. And now we begin to either create our own theology or we borrow from someone else's false doctrine And now, to do that to get more money, how can we get more money out of people? It might start by teaching on money, like I'm doing here. So I too know that I'm on a slippery slope for which I need to be very careful. And you and I need to be prayerful that I don't slip there. But I can't not preach on it. Let me go a little bit further. So the money doesn't come in. So now I start looking how can I get more money? So now we begin to bring in all these different kinds of fundraisers and people like that to do that. I'm not anti that, but I'm telling you we're a slippery slope further down. So now we get counting on those programs and those philosophies more than we count on God and God alone. Now, that may work for a little while, but now we start saying, wait, how does other people do it? And we find out that, boy, the big churches often are the ones that are peddling a prosperity theology. A prosperity gospel. So to do that, we have to then move into the direction of, okay, what would motivate people more to give? And so we begin to copy some of the phraseology that's out there that is not born on solid theology. Now, that doesn't mean they don't take verses out of the Bible. They certainly do. But then they misinterpret them or the verses of which they've taken out of the Bible, they're not... In the context for which they're intended, and you put all of that on it, and with a lot of praise, Jesus, glory to God, amen, a lot of energy and music, you now have things starting coming your way. So preachers can do this. In fact, if I could use this phrase, it's almost like we've created a Las Vegas casino. There's a lot of lights, a lot of flash, a lot of dance going on. And so we're encouraging people, okay, you're really hurting, you want to get over that, take the seed faith of this, and we can help you with your health. The money starts pouring in, and so money comes into this Las Vegas church casino thing, thinking that these people now, them thinking, they could get money or health or wealth out of it. The only difference is is that I think it's more diabolical is because uh, it's done in the name of God, and God is repulsed by it. And in Las Vegas, you pretty well know that you've got a pretty good chance you're not going to win. We get that. But there might be. But when you go to church, it's you will win. And if you think I'm wrong, I've done some research and been reading. And I'd like to give you something that I've read from those that have done a lot more research on this. And what we've come up in the whole science of missiology, the study of missions... That when you hear such things as as in Africa, South America, and even our own countrymen in the Philippines, why is religion and Christianity, quote, quote, those that are listening, you can't see my little quotes here, Christianity, is exploding? I'm not saying more people aren't coming to God and yelling out Jesus and praising God, but I really question if deep inside of them they have come as a broken person realizing that they are sinners. They do not deserve to go to heaven. It is totally by God's grace. And through faith alone in Jesus Christ, God forgives them of all sin and they can have eternal life with Him. And that their promise from God is not in this life, but it's in the next life. I don't know that they're given that. So where is religion exploding? In these third world countries that are poor. One statistic, and those of you that want to know where I got my answers, you can come and see me afterwards. It said nine out of every ten Pentecostals live in poverty, especially in those countries. In addition, quote, over 90% of Pentecostals and Charismatics in Nigeria, South Africa, India, and the Philippines believe that, quote, God will grant material prosperity to all believers who have enough faith. And in every country, significantly more Pentecostals than other Christians believe this. With such a great message, it's no wonder people are flocking to sign up. The prosperity gospel is a divinely guaranteed version of the American dream in these third world countries. That dream being a job, a house, money in the bank. And the global success of the prosperity gospel is the exporting of that American dream. And now my word is this. Through the false teaching of scripture that plagues people who have a desire for more rather than contentment with what God has given to them. Now let me give you a sidebar. Again, there's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong with desiring to better your life. God would want us to do that. Seek great things for thyself. Seek them not, but seek great things. It's when we buy into that that begins to steal our soul. Let's go a little bit further. We talked about how is this more evil. They fall into heretical teaching Spiritual effectiveness is lost, obviously, when you're not living your life from the inside out according to the inerrant and correct interpretation of Scripture. Your whole life is going sideways and you begin to have to feed that monster of belief and it only messes you up more and more. Thirdly, the desire never gets satisfied. We talked about that again. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. Oh, we might like it at the very beginning, but it won't last. This, too, is Vanity. When good things increase, those who consume it, they'll also increase. Number four, the desire separates man from God. No man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. Listen to this list. Just listen. Achan, in Scripture, Old Testament, lost his life and the life of his entire family because he was greedy for something God didn't want him to have, Joshua 7. Balaam experienced the Lord's discipline in his life for it, Numbers 22 and 31. Delilah ruined a potentially great leader because of it. Now, I know that Samson made his own choices, but I'm going to tell you she appealed to his nature for more. Ananias and Sapphira lost their lives because of it, and the poster child for all greed, in my opinion, is Judas Iscariot. And so I asked myself, and I wrote this to me. After I wrote this and I put all this notes in here, I, I put a dot for me. You want to know what I wrote? I put, could I be considered in this notorious group of money-hungry people? I pray not. I pray not. So what are the consequences for desiring more? It can lead you to forget or to die God. It really does. When you have enough money, you begin to think your money can buy you out of a problem. It can buy you health. It can buy you relationship, buy you friendship. It can uh, pay for a wrong... Uh, choices you've made okay I'll just pay for that and I'll go on to the other thing i will rather pay the fine and still do what I want to do so we begin to deny God how dangerous that is keep deception and lies far from me give me neither poverty nor riches feed me with the food that is my portion in other words what I should have that I be not full and deny you and say who's the Lord or that I'd be so hungry and want I would steal and of course through all of that I'll be profaning your name Proverbs 30 it'll keep us from trusting in the Lord the uncertainty of riches I like what Job said. He said, "If I have put my confidence in gold and called fine gold my trust, if I've gloated because of my wealth that it was great, and because my hand had secured so much, that too would have been an iniquity calling for judgment, for I would have denied God above. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the green leaves. Would you give me another moment here? I want to speak to this issue. Um, In the Bible, there was a king by the name of Hezekiah. He did a lot of great things. One thing he did do that brought his downfall at the end was his pride. And with that pride, it showed up in his flamboyance of his wealth. If you recall, he then, when he had a visitor, another national political leader from another country came. He then opened up his palace in his reservoir of all that he had, all of his gold and silver and everything that he had, and he showed that to the person. Now, when I read about that, you know, as many times you have too, I got thinking, what's wrong with that? I can't tell you how many Christian ministries from California to Colorado to San Antonio, Texas, that when you walk in, they have tours of their place. They'll show you their radio, they'll show you where they do their recording, they'll show you their equipment, they'll show you their staff, they'll show you their offices, they'll show you everything that they have. So is that any different than what Hezekiah did? I don't know. I think if we were to do that, when people come and we want to show them our beautiful guest rooms upstairs and our growing library and the way God has done our building here, I don't necessarily think that that is so wrong. But I do believe we're on a slippery slope. I think if while we're doing that, we are clearly, and from the heart, not sin management, are communicating, this is what the Lord has done for us. This is for answers to prayer. We're using this to bring glory to Him. And we are very cognizant that everything we have comes from the Lord. Then there might be an appropriate time to show someone a new car. you new digs. Maybe a new outfit that you're given. It doesn't mean you've got to stamp everything with glory to God. Look at my new... No. But it does mean that in your heart, you remember that you trusted the Lord. He gave you this. It is to be used to bring glory to Him. Watch this. If in any way that this might cause the other person to be envious, depressed that they don't have it, jealous, then I would be a little bit careful about parading all that you have and use it in a very humble way enjoying what you have for the glory of God. Back to the passage. You can also become what I call deceived. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. In other words, the more we get, the more we got to guard, and the less we may give. So don't be deceived. Become ignorant of what is true gain, godliness with contentment. I gave you that verse. Eternal riches. True gain is what we have here to be used for the eternal glory of God and for Him alone. And then finally, a simple lifestyle. Maybe some question you might ask yourself, do I have enough just right now to live on? Is this a basic need of life? I like a simpler lifestyle. Most of you probably, the older ones are, when you start having to move out from what you have, you start enjoying a simpler life. Testimony of dear friends of ours by the name of David and Shelley has Beautiful home in Canada. Beautiful place. They moved out of their house. They got rid of some of their extra animals. They moved into a little tiny place that's less than a 1,000 square feet, almost like a, a glorified motel room. And their testimony over and over again is, when we had all that and used it, it was great. Now what we have, we enjoy the simple lifestyle. Amen? Amen. It could also help us to become sinfully entrapped by deception and temptation and bring us many harmful desires. And then finally, those desires can be absolutely destructive in our life. I want to give you a testimony. In the pocket of a rich man who just committed suicide was found a check for $30,000. I do not know what the check was for. I don't know who it was made out to. All I know is that he had $30,000. But also, in his pocket was a letter that in part said this, I have discovered during my life that piles of money do not bring happiness. I am taking my life because I can no longer stand the solitude and boredom when I was an ordinary working man in New York, I was the most happy. Now that I possess millions, I'm infinitely sad and prefer death. Ruinous destruction. I have permission to share this. This is very close to home to our church here. We had a man in our church, a single adult man, not college age. His um, name is Richard. So all I'll tell you. Richard um, felt like he couldn't really do well on the island. He's a fourth-generation Portuguese here and felt like uh, he wanted to go to the Seventh Island, Las Vegas. Some people say Las Wages. So he went to Las Vegas thinking that he could make his mark there. And he would give all of the reasons why he would make it there. Now, he was not a rich man, very poor, but basically had simple needs of life, had enough smarts, could do well. When he got there, he said, I got there and I worked a little bit, but I had some money, some investments, and some of what you might call um, unemployment money. And I started gambling. I gambled it all away. And he would call me crying on the phone. I don't know what I'm going to do. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I said, it's until you become to a point where you say to the Lord that you denied the advice you got before you left of don't go. Until you come to the point that you're ready to surrender your heart to the Lord as a believer, he's a believer, baptized believer. And now you're willing to put yourself, no matter the pain it's going to cost you, underneath the submission of God's word and let God take you out of this, you will finally die on the street alone. And so now he's two weeks away. And he called me on the phone and he said, Pastor, I, I want you to know I am so sorry I didn't listen to your advice, Pastor Dennis' advice. Some of the guys in our small group gave me advice. I, I rejected. I just, I had my mind believing that I could do and all of this, but I, I knew in my heart I wanted to go there because it'd be easier to gamble. And I'm so sorry for that. Would you help me? So while I'm pastoring you, we've got long distance people we're dealing with. It took him two years. And this morning he texted me. I said, I'm going to give this testimony of yours. What would you like to say? He says, "Would people this. I have now two jobs. I work with security, which means that he's got a clean slate, and I also work as a substitute teacher. I'm vitally involved in my local church, which is a Bible-teaching church, like international. He says, and I'm part of the facilitator of the support group of Gamblers Anonymous, although they don't call it that ministry. It's for gambler addicts. In addition to that, and this I never would have expected out of Richard, he has been writing songs And having people set it to music, and now he's in Christian music as well with all of that going on. He has a new car, not a brand new car, but a new car, and he has a very humble place. Why am I telling you all of that? While I give you this whole long message about desiring money. It'll bring us down, but when you come to a point to say, all right, I'm ready to give it all up for God and do it His way, and mean it, and willing to take the time to get out of that hole, I'm going to tell you that God's grace is greater than our greatest sin. His mercy will flood you. His power and wisdom. You'll be surrounded by those people that really care for you that will help you move forward. So what is your take-home point today? It's your attitude about your wealth. Remember that all our finances are really His finances. Having money, working hard for more, and saving money are not necessarily evil. But desiring to be wealthy is deadly. And then finally, the way to be spiritually wealthy is to desire and obey the Lord No matter the cost, and I'll add this, this is me, and no matter how long it takes, you give it to the Lord. I've given you Deuteronomy chapter 10, and I'll read this to you and we will close. The way to be spiritually wealthy is to desire and obey the Lord. The Lord says, in the Old Testament, inspiration. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? And may I say, church here, by extension, what does He require of us? But to fear the Lord Jehovah, your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today for your good, for your good, you shall fear the Lord, your God, you shall serve him and cling to him and you shall swear by his name. He is your praise. He is your God who has done these great and awesome things for you, which your eyes have seen. And folks... They're looking back to what the Lord did for them as they crossed over the Red Sea. They're looking back to see how God sustained them in the wilderness for 40 years. We're looking back to what we've been done now at the cross, accepted in the Beloved One. And we have God as not only our Father, but our Lord and our power and our sustainer. And so wherever you are right now, I encourage you to just say no to the desire to be wealthy. Develop an attitude of trust in the Lord and contentment. Love Him, desire Him with every ounce that you have and only Him and follow His Word and I guarantee your life will turn around. I cannot guarantee you'll be rich. I'm not a prosperity theology teacher. I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. But I am going to teach you the Word of God no matter the cost because I want you to know the Lord accurately so you can love Him cheerfully and then for the rest of your life you can serve Him faithfully. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to give you a moment just to kind of have a little talk with Jesus right now. Some of you are wondering, you're saying, okay, where do I begin? How do I get? I I heard the message and what do I do now? Well, let me remind you that there is a first step. And it's the same first step that we all need to take. Some have already taken the first step. So you're on the second and third step and you move forward with the Lord in this matter. But you have to start. Everybody starts at this first step. And that is when you come to the Lord and you say, Lord, what I heard today, I can see in my life I have blown it. I may be doing better now, but I can see there are times that I did not order my steps according to your word. My heart wasn't right. Whatever it might have been, you come to him as as an individual who's humble and in a sense broken. And then you say to him, Lord, I want to be in your forever family. I don't want you merely to be my God. I want you to be my father. I want the power necessary to do what you're asking me to do here and telling me to do. And I know you will never give me your power to do this so I can come out of this, apart from me being in your forever family. So, Lord, I'm gonna I want to be your child, so I'm gonna do what it takes to be your child. And my friend, that's a good attitude. But there's only one way to be his child. You don't do it by giving money to the church, giving money to social organizations. It's not by more prayer. It's simply by you believing that Jesus Christ is God. He's the only God. That Jesus Christ, the Lord, died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. You believe that you're a sinner and nothing you can do will ever get you to heaven. It is not behaving. It's not believing in Christ and behaving that gives you eternal life. It is not merely believing unless it has the right object. And it has to be the person and work of Christ. So when you say, Lord, I believe you loved me, you died for me and rose again, I'm trusting in you to give to me eternal life. I receive from you eternal life. Some people call it a prayer, but it's not so much a prayer as it is a mental transaction where you're transferring your trust from anything else and placing it only in Christ. That's your first step. You can do all the rest of the stuff Scripture says, but it will not be sustainable. You will not have the power to continue. But when you trust Christ, at least within you now, you have the Holy Spirit to do that. Would there be anyone here today that's ready to take that first step? Let me make it clear. The first step is not walking an aisle. The first step isn't coming to the altar. The first step isn't filling out a card. The first step isn't standing up. The first step isn't me praying for you. The first step isn't you raising your hand. The first step is trusting Christ. Now, once you've done that, Jesus says, he that believes on me has right now everlasting life. Now, I'd like to pray for you if you believe in Christ right now. You've done the step. Now I'd like to just talk to the Lord about you and let you know you have a pastor on this island that really cares for you and will keep caring for you. Not a perfect pastor, but a pastor who will do the best he can to show you the Word of God. So is there anyone here today that's ready to say, I'm taking the first step. I've taken that first step. I've trusted Christ here today. And then without saying a word, but wanting me to pray for you with your heads bowed, eyes closed. Would you slip up your hand right now? Is there anyone at all that's today? You've taken the first step by faith alone, and you did it right now. You placed your faith in Christ. Anyone at all? Put up your hand. Anyone. Okay, Christians, um, this message was full of material in meat. I have great confidence in the Holy Spirit that he's going to continue reverberating this with you. Take the time to go back over this outline of verses. Talk to your significant other, your your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad, your son, your daughter, your best friend, someone that you would like to engage with, or call Carol on the phone if you're a lady, or me if you'd like. Guys, um, I'd like that. How many of you today really, in a sense, um, were reminded the seriousness of desiring more wealth? And that today you're going to give everything you have in a sense back to God emotionally. You're going to kind of take your hands off and say, Lord, I want to be content with what you've given to me. And you'd like to have prayer. Would you slip up your hand? Would there be anyone? Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for these dear, dear people. My brothers and sisters in Christ, my new friends that have come maybe even for today before they have to go on to other places. For those that are going to Find this place as a faith family home and a place to be taught and fed to grow. But Father, I thank you for everything that you've given to us. I thank you for our building. What a nice building, nice facilities. Thank you for all of our equipment that you've given to us. I pray that we keep it clean, we manage it well, we take care of it, but we don't own it. And so, Lord, if you decide to take it away in a flood, hurricane, fire, however, Lord, it is yours to do with what you want with it. We will rejoice. We will see what you'll do to rebuild our facilities or lead us to new ones. Father, whatever our people are going through, if there's anyone that is really suffering horrible need right now, that, Father, that they will not go home to a house without lights or water. They will not have to walk home because their car does not work. That, Father, that they would come and speak to us so that we can come alongside them to help them, teach them, guide them, counsel them, instruct them, Love them so that, Father, when they become strong, and they will, that they can do that for others. So, Father, we pray that for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida.